Hello, and welcome to The Future is Sound, a partnership in hearing podcast brought to you by Oticon Canada. I'm your host, Becca Angel, and thanks for joining me on my first podcast journey where we will chat broadly about all things hearing. We will launch fun new episodes every month, and if you have any suggestions or comments, be sure to get in touch. Okay, let's get started. Great. Okay. So thank you guys so much for joining me today. Uh, we have two guests today joining us. We have Gail Hannon and Sherry Eberts. Gail, am I saying your last name right? Is it Hannon yes, or are. Hannon? Hannon. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Uh, so Gail is on Vancouver Island and Sherry, are you joining us from New York? Is that right? Uh, yep. Yeah, in New York City, the heart Very of Manhattan. Cool. Nice. So both Gail and Sherry are hearing loss advocates, speakers, and writers. Their most recent book was just published a few months ago called Here and Beyond, Living Skillfully with Hearing Loss. So we'll talk a little bit about the book today, which is kind of the ultimate survival and communication guide for living your best life with hearing loss. They both have hearing loss themselves, and the book shares a lot of really great experiences that they've both had, which I think are really relatable for a lot of people and provide lots and lots of tips on living peacefully and skillfully with hearing loss. So again, thank you both so much for being here. I'm really excited to finally chat with you guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, awesome. Uh, We're still sort of like getting into the flow of our kind of partnership and hearing podcast, but it's been uh, really fun so far. I think you guys might be our fifth or sixth guest that we've had. So yeah, we're kind of adding more and more all the time. So it's been, it's been really fun. So I know that writing a book is probably like a really vulnerable thing to go through. Gail, you've written a book before in 2015. I did. I I wrote a book called The Way I Hear It, A Life with Hearing Loss. And it was more of a memoir, which so many books lately have been wonderful books by people living with hearing loss or a cochlear implant. And, and I knew the minute I finished that, that I wanted to write another one because people with hearing loss, they have to go to so many places to get information and so many places that they, they don't do it. They don't know where to go. And there was no operating manual, as we like to call it, I'd had to learn the hard way through my lifelong experience with hearing loss. So I reached out to Sherry and whom I knew, we were acquaintances, friends, and said, do you want to do this? And she said, sure. (laughs) And you you mentioned being vulnerable. And that was really kind of a key. Maybe Sherry can fill in more on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was thrilled to hear from Gail because I had always admired all the advocacy work that that she did. And I had always wanted to write a book as well. And I think I had mentioned that to Gail at an HIA conference like many years before, like, oh, I really want to write a book. And so when she reached out, I was like, yay, this is my chance. (laughs) And we've really focused on skills you know, more than the memoir. Although we do share so much of ourselves and so much of our stories in the book, we really wanted to do something a little bit different. And I love that word skills and living skillfully because a skill is something you can learn. 
And so we feel that everyone can learn to live better with their hearing loss. And so this is, you know, that operating manual and that guide that we wish we had when we started off on our hearing loss journeys. I I read the book and I'm a clinician as well. And although I don't have hearing loss, I'm like lots of people close to me have hearing loss and my dad had hearing loss. And I found a lot of the examples that you guys provide in the book are you say it's not a memoir, but you give examples of things that happened to you, but then turn that into like an actionable item. Like, here's how I could have done this differently, or here's what I learned from this experience. And I just think it was so, it's, it just provides really useful, like tangible things that people can take away. Well, then we did exactly what we set out to do. (laughs) I want to go back to that word vulnerable because it was very interesting. So Sherry and I, I was born with hearing loss. Sherry's was adult onset, but both of us had lived for many years. And as I mentioned earlier, we had to find our way. And we found in the discussion that goes into as we formulate, what is this going to be? That we had come to some very, very similar conclusions about how to change things in our lives. And that was a real, this was a thing of joy for us to write. I didn't expect that setting out. And it wasn't something that Sherry and I talk about constantly. But even though we've lived with it for years and we, people look at us as kind of, wow, they just got it together. It still (laughs) can reduce us to frustration and isolation. Like I always used to say, I'm one dead battery away from hysterics. We are not immune from the ongoing emotions of hearing loss. And we're hoping that comes through in the book. Yeah, absolutely. I had written down like a couple of things that really stood out for me. And although I don't have hearing loss, I found that like some of the, some of the things that you mentioned in the book can apply to other things (laughs) like that people are going through. So the mindset shifts that you guys talk about and that kind of whole process there where, you know, we have to kind of change our emotion or behavior towards something and try to see like the positive in that. So it really resonated with me, Gail. You talked a little bit about feeling helpless or you don't want people with hearing loss to feel helpless And we need to provide like tools to take charge and feel more powerful. So I've had lots and lots of issues with my knee and I've had like recurring knee injuries over and over again. And I've most recently like retorn my ACL for like the fourth time. And it's so easy to just be so negative and like ask yourself, why me? You know, why is this happening to me? You know, I I just, if only I could turn back time or change this or change that, and I'm not going to be able to do all these things that I could do before. And so it's so easy to fall into that. But I really liked when you were talking about this mindset shift to say, okay, let me look at this from a new perspective. Like, what can I do? And how can I see the positive in a thing that makes me feel really negative, which I really, really liked in that part of the book. Absolutely. I'm glad that that resonated with you so much. I mean, I think that was one of the main things that Gail and I really wanted to get across in the book is that you can live better, right? And and the way that you feel about your hearing loss and the way that you think about it impacts your behaviors. And so if you can change your behaviors and change the way you think about it, 
you can live better and more peacefully with your hearing loss. And I'm glad that that came across. And I think it does come from other life experiences too, right? We've all had other challenges. I know I'm a huge yoga person and it's a strong message in yoga as well, is that, you know, you have to stay in the present moment and you have to do the best that you can with the current situation and then move on to the next one and do that again. And that's something that very much applies to hearing loss too. Yeah. But we also say it's not something you can do overnight. We're not saying, well, just do this and then you'll be fine. It was a a process or in the US you say process. So it was a process process and it took time. These realizations for us took time. And that's what, again, if we can plant a couple of seeds and help someone shorten out some of those long processes in some way, then that's what we set out to do. Yeah. Yeah. You guys talk a lot about it, taking practice and kind of taking what you learn and and implementing it is exactly right. It's not going to happen quickly. It's going to be, I'm sure there's setbacks and yeah, you got to work at it in order to improve that. So Sherry, where would you practice uh, some of these things? Michelle <laughs> loves this because you would think that where you would practice is on a family member or someone close to you. But I say no way. It's so much easier to practice with a stranger. So if you're on a bus, <laughs> Gail's laughing, or if you're on the airplane, you can turn to the person and say, you know, I have hearing loss. Please let me know when they call my stop. You can try out different words, different scripts. And there's no downside because you're probably never going to see that person again. And <laughs> right, hopefully, and, and what you learn, or at least what I learned from that is that, you know, you find your rhythm, you find your little speech and the effective speech that works for you and rolls easily off your tongue, right? And for all of us, that's going to be different. How do we identify ourselves? What do we say? And the other thing is you learn that people want to help. So whenever I've done that on a bus or, you know, in a store, almost every time I get a positive reaction, like, oh, okay, well, sure, I'll, I'll definitely be able to help you out. Or they tell you about their uncle or their brother or someone else who has hearing loss. So, you know, it actually goes back to that vulnerability a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. If you're yeah. vulnerable, then people feel that they can be that way with you too. Yeah, I just wanted to explain why I was why I found it funny because when she first mentioned it, I had this vision of Sherry getting onto a bus, which, by the way, she never gets on a bus. I do. But, <laughs> so, so she got so all right. So you get on a bus. I have this vision of some her going, "Hi there, hi, I'm Sherry. I have hearing loss. Hey, you across the aisle. Hey, I, I have hearing loss. Just wanted to let you know." So. <laughs> <laughs> That would be a good go exactly like that, but you know. (laughs) Yeah. Another thing I had kind of written down, Sherry, was the example that you give in the book when you're hiking with your family. And so we're talking about like advocating for yourself, right? By going on the bus and saying, look, I have hearing loss. I need some assistance or whatever. And you're just saying, I can't hear in the back. And no one's really doing anything. And they're like, come on, use your words. And it's such a small change, but to say like taking action there and being like, you know what, I need to be second in line here in order to succeed. (laughs) So sometimes we like think we're communicating efficiently, or we think that we're doing everything that we can when in fact 
we're not. So I really like that part too. No, a hundred percent. I mean, and that's, we say a lot in the book that, you know, identifying yourself as someone with hearing loss is so important, but it's not enough, right? You need to express what it is very specifically, what it is you need other people to do and to ask them to do that in as nice a way as possible. And so it's funny because even as an advocate, right, I was expecting my family to read my mind and we know that people can't read your mind. So it was such a, it was like a, such a small thing, like you said, but a big change in terms of how it went once yeah. I spoke. Yeah. I think our children probably are better communicators than say our spouses. And I'm, I'm, I guess I'm speaking more for myself, Sherry, cause I, I haven't met your children, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but I'm guessing that they grew up once you, you came, came out of the hearing loss closet. And with my son, Joel, I mean, I had hearing loss right from the get-go in his life. So, you know, as an adult, I mean, he learned as a child that if he wanted my attention, if he wanted something from me, he had to get my attention. As a child, he would turn my face. And now when we're talking, if we're talking, if I turn away my head, he'll stop talking until I bring it back. (laughs) So which sometimes I find annoying, but still he's, he's practicing good communication. He's making a point though. Yeah. Well, I mean, not all of us can communicate effectively with everyone all the time, regardless of whether we have hearing loss or not. So I I feel like we jumped ahead very quickly, but I was going to ask you guys (laughs) for anyone listening that hasn't read the book, kind of to start out the book, you guys talk about this three-legged stool model. And so I was wondering if you guys could kind of explain that anyone listening who hasn't read the book well we love our three-legged stool love it love it love it love it love it it. and the funny thing about a three-legged stool is that it never wobbles even if you're on bumpy ground and we're still trying to figure out why that is we've determined that it's something to do with physics right gail but we don't know exactly (laughs) no 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 But to live skillfully with hearing loss, there are three parts of the stool. The first is the mind shifts that we had been talking about earlier in terms of having sort of a more proactive attitude in terms of solving problems. And then technology is the second leg. All types of technology, obviously hearing aids, cochlear implants, but also other tech tools, right? Remote microphones, apps, you know, anything techie that'll work, we are all for that. And then the last leg is the communication game changers, which are behavioral changes, things like identifying as someone with a hearing loss, like we were talking about, or speech reading or other things. And it's when you put all those together, you really have what we say is like the magic happens. That's when you really have that great base of skills to take to any situation. Right. And was this a collaborative idea where you guys like in a brainstorming meeting and you're like, this is it. (laughs) We've got the solution here. You know, Rebecca, we had the three groups and Sherry came up with a three-legged stool. But at this point, sometimes we can't remember who came up with what, because when we started talking, I mean, we started this in May of 2020, the pandemic just hit. So we published it last year. So it was a two-year process and we did a a lot of talking (laughs) (laughs) and a lot of writing and a lot more discussion and we would change things. So who wrote what? 
we can't really tell you because there was a lot of revision. We would revise each other's things. So it truly was a joyous collaborative experience that continues. And uh, because we believe so strongly in our message, you know, I said to Sherry, when we were first getting going and we just got an agreement in place of how we're going to do it, I said, you know, Sherry, really, you don't write books to make money. <laughs> there, there was this silence. And she said, oh, well, we can try, can't we? And I said, sure, we can try. But the reality is most authors aren't going to, you know, become mega authors and for us, that truly isn't the goal. It's because we cared so passionately. We're not Pollyannas, but we wouldn't have done this if it wasn't an outcome of all our advocacy and all of our writings anyway. We're both regular bloggers and, and feature writers on hearing loss. So yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. And going back to vulnerability, I you know, for a second, I remember the first time where I had to sort of revise something that Gail Hannon wrote, you know, <laughs> and she said to me, I can't believe I just revised something Shari Eberts wrote, you know, because we're so used to writing independently and we would right. edit other people, but we had such respect for each other as writers and advocates. And so we now we just rip each other apart, you know, and like and say, oh, what about this word? But it was definitely a process to get comfortable with that. But I think it makes the book better because we don't really know who wrote what. I mean, it's it was really a shared philosophy that we developed together. Yeah. I mean, it comes across that way in the book too. Like it doesn't feel like, you know, Gail, Sherry, it, it feels very co collaborative for sure. That's good. Good. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. So yeah. <laughs> good work, <Yeah>. Gail. <laughs> and a girl, Sherry. <laughs> you guys also talk about like the stages too of the stages of the hearing loss journey. Like the stages of life, but your hearing loss journey. Yeah. You know, you go through these different stages of the process. And for me, when I was kind of reading it as a as an audiologist and as a, and a clinician, you sort of think about this process that the patients are going through and then they come in to see you and you're there and you're sort of doing that validation part for them, right? So you're saying, okay, look, there's hearing loss here. And I think we're so quick to provide solutions to that without really giving them time to just take a step back and like kind of let them process that, you know, sometimes these appointments are like one hour and you're there to do a job. And, and sometimes I think that process of letting them kind of go through that journey is sometimes missed. So that really kind of, I took a step back for a second and was like, this is really important that we think about this process that they're going through. That was so great to hear you say that because we realized that the five stages that we have put, some of them are aspirational, you know, our experience and, and many other people. But then we do say not everyone gets out of the first stage, which is, you know, thinking about it and, and or some people don't get past the validation. You know, so, so it is aspirational in some ways, but it is an ongoing thing. And it's wonderful to hear you as a clinician understand that when the person leaves your office, you just haven't turned on a switch and everything will be tickety-boo with them. So it's wonderful. You're the first clinician I've heard give us feedback on that part of the, the, the five stages. So thanks very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively new, like, I guess, and like I graduated school in 2016, so I'm not that new, but 
I feel like I'm sort of new in the grand scheme of things, you know, but in my, in my last, like, you know, eight years of this, like I've seen lots of different things and yeah, we're so quick to say like, you know, there's a hearing loss here and this is the, this is what we should do. You know, we should fit you with hearing aids and, and away you go. So I think it's just important to say sometimes for, for some people, it might be, you have a hearing loss and let's just talk about that before we kind of do anything else beyond. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even sort of, you know, talking about the concept of hearing loss as a journey, right? It's not a problem that, you know, you solve with a hearing aid, right? Or you solve with any one piece of technology or change in your behavior. It's sort of this whole thing we were talking about with the stool. So just that idea of a journey lets people know that it's okay to take steps forward and take steps backwards. And, you know, you're not going to put the hearing aids on and it's going to solve all your problems. And I think a lot of people come into the appointment and maybe that's what they expect, right? Maybe it's because they're used to wearing glasses or it's just, you know, why wouldn't my the hearing aids fix everything? And they don't, they help a lot of things, but they're not going to fix everything. And if we know that, then we don't blame ourselves, right? We don't feel like we're failing. It's just a normal part of this journey. And I think it's so important that clinicians recognize that. And I love how you were saying to just sort of say, well, we've diagnosed you with hearing loss. Let's talk about that a little bit and what that means for your life before sort of trying to, you know, solve it right away. On that note, from your guys' perspective, kind of having hearing loss and probably have seen many different clinicians throughout your lives, <laughs> I'm sure. Like, what can we do as hearing care professionals to kind of help in that process? Like, as as the, the hearing clinician, you know, what can we say? Like, here's a piece of technology. This is my expertise, but I don't have hearing loss. So how do we kind of go about getting people into with the right resources or like speaking to the right people or finding a community or whatever it is, like from your perspective, like how can we kind of make that process better? Well, I think what we were just talking about, what you said is, is the great start. People who come in with hearing loss for the first time, regardless of how long they've had it and not done something about it, they really want someone to listen to them because their family had probably been irritated with them because they haven't done what they should do because they don't understand how hearing aids work either. And to listen to them and respect their expertise. They might not express it well. They might be struggling with it, but they live with the reality. So that aspect of listening to them is it, crucial as, as a first step. And then in the process is knowing what resources exist for them that you can't give them yourself but what you can do is refer them so things such as our book for example such as suggesting certain Facebook groups that you know to be empathetic and and without that a good Facebook group or LinkedIn or or something refer them to like in Canada the Canadian Heart of Hearing Association of course and in the U.S. it's Hearing Loss Association of America knowing where you can refer them. But the other thing too, if I can, and I know Sherry probably got lots of stuff too, but perhaps invite 
their nearest and dearest family members to come in for at least one appointment because we can talk about all these great strategies, but if they're not shared and practiced with their spouse or their parents or their friends, then they're not going to be effective because communication is a two-way street and it's the glue that connects us together. And so, yeah. Got anything to add to that, Sherry? I know I started to ramble as you. Oh, that was terrific. That, that was really great. That's I great. mean, the only thing I would add would be to provide solutions in addition to the technology. So is are there a list of communication best practices, right, that you can share with the person with hearing loss? Maybe it's even a piece of paper they can take with them and they can show it to their family or they can show it to their friends. And it seems more official, you know? We've probably been telling our family like a million times, you have to get my attention first, you have to face me. But if it's sort of on a, you know, an official document from the audiologist, mm -hmm. perhaps that has a little bit more impact but it's a lot of things and like Gail said I think in that one hour appointment it's a lot to get through so it's really important to also direct people to find that peer support however they choose to do it and maybe not in that first appointment either because mm -hmm. it might be you know so often I guess people come in and you do a hearing assessment and they get home and the husband says so so what did Rebecca say she said oh yeah I got a bit of hearing loss but it's not so bad you know <laughs> we know from talking to audiologists that this happens a lot so there's just so much just deliver the information on a timely basis so hopefully this is a client you're going to have for a long time and we talk a lot about that client professional relationship and how valuable it is and we even say it in the book, if you're not getting the type of care that is, is minimal that we describe here, you may want to look elsewhere. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I remember reading that too, and um, <laughs> <laughs> you just hope you're one of the good ones, you know. And that's a that's a little bit on um, like person or patient centered care, which I feel like is becoming like a little bit of a buzzword in 2022 and 2023, which is a good thing. But yeah, I think being able to find a hearing care professional that's going to kind of take you on board as to like what's best for you in this in this process and making sure that they're like an active participant in that, especially with changes in technology. You know, I know, Cher, you're in the U.S., so OTCs are now, I guess, readily available there. <laughs> in a well, way. yes, they are. But <laughs> the products that have come out so far aren't necessarily the right sweet spot, I think. You know, the way I think of OTC, and I'm so excited about it, right? Because it's so important to bring access to people who can't afford it or who may otherwise not take care of their hearing. But I feel like there's two groups, you know, the group that maybe wants a traditional hearing aid, but they can't afford it. And so far, there are some products in that area, but they're still on the expensive side. They're still sort of two, three thousand dollars. If you're yeah. going to pay that, you know, go and get the the full fitting and and all the assistance from a trained professional. And then the other group is maybe more of a situational user, right? They have mild to moderate hearing loss. They don't maybe they don't really need hearing aids in every situation, but they need it situationally. And the products in that area so far don't have that Bluetooth connection. You know, they don't have the things that people are looking for. Yeah. So 
I remain really, really optimistic, but yeah. I think it's going to take a while to sort of get that sweet spot of. Pride. Yeah, it's the tip of the iceberg. It's the yeah. industry is ever changing all the time, but I think it just goes to sh like whatever happens with the technology is going to happen. And I think everything continues to improve, but the fact of patient-centered care, person-centered care, and finding someone who's competent, who's has your best interests in mind, is going to become more and more important, I think, as, as time goes on in the hearing industry. Absolutely. And I yeah. hope OTC helps with that. I hope it really pushes the hearing care professionals to value, you know, what they really can provide, all of that counseling, all of that understanding. It's not just the devices, right? It's all those other things that are part of person-centered care. Right. Uh, Sherry, Sherry and I both agree that a person will do well working with a trained empathetic, compassionate hearing care provider, but it's, it's wonderful to have options and we haven't had options. The options are hearing aids, mostly by the, the big five or six, and they're expensive. Actually, they're, it's one of the few things that's more expensive in the US than it is in Canada, but uh, it's nice to have options. Having said that, OTC is, I, I've even heard a mumble of it in on the Canadian health front but it's nice to have more options available to us. Yeah. I mean, if anything, it brings awareness to the, to the cause. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. More people learn about it. You guys also talk in the book about like hearing, there's the term like hearing hacks, which, <laughs> you know, you can apply to any sort of situation, whether it's, you know, a social event or a theater or work. I go to Pilates here and there was a girl in my class just last week with hearing loss who doesn't like to wear her cochlear implant or her hearing aid to classes. I think they, she just finds they get in the way. And, you know, you're on these like reformers that are on your back or you're turned around and it's just I can I can imagine it would be really really hard for her in a situation like that um, without her devices so you guys can provide anyone listening with a couple of hearing hacks I think that would be a fun way to kind of near the end of our chat today well sure you should I mean you you work out more than I do, which is an understatement. So maybe you can. Um, well, it doesn't have to be a uh, workout class. But. No, but that was a good example. And no, it that's comes a great up a lot, example. So. Yeah. And, and like for yoga specifically, you yeah. know, I think a lot of hacks are just to be open about it. Again, finding the right class is so important with a teacher that's willing to sort of understand and work with you and position yourself in the middle of the room. That way, visually, you know, whatever move you're doing, you're turned this way that way upside down you can see people that are all around you and I always try and learn a little bit about the poses first so you can learn online there are different videos so that way you're more familiar with it walking in which I think is is terrific yeah that's and, a good idea. and just add to that for those who have remote mics as part of their listening system like I had with uh, Otacon, I'm a Resound user right now because it's the same platform as my cochlear implant, but I've got the mini mic. So I have asked the instructor to wear that and it will come directly into my devices, which is a helpful thing. And it's a, so many of our hacks are technology-based and so many of them are communication game changers on the non-technical stuff, such as 
these are the things that we can do to help us communicate. So the hacks are a big thing. It was funny when we first came up with hack, I went hack. (laughs) I'm quite a bit older. And I went, no, no, that means someone who's not good at what they do. And so I did a bit of research and found I'm like 15 years behind the time and that hacks are great. (laughs) And we love hearing hacks. Yeah. We want to get t-shirts that say, you know, hearing and then maybe hacks on the back or something. I don't know. Yeah. Or you yeah, could have like yeah. a list of all yeah. the, a list Be of a hearing hacks hack. on the back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Actually, one of the podcasts I was listening to, I can't remember which one, but you, we kind of mentioned a little bit about some of these associations like HLAA in the U.S. or the Canadian Hearing Loss Association aren't necessarily getting as many new members, like I think as we would maybe like or hope. I don't know why that is. I think maybe like just changes in social media and things like that. Like, do you think more people are finding stuff in other places online? And like, what can we do to kind of promote some of these long standing organizations for people with hearing loss? I know in Canada that Shaw has struggled, uh, and even when I first joined back in the mid-90s, but so many people these days, they, they aren't club joiners. They don't like going to monthly meetings, and so many people that I saw said, basically, I'm coming to you. Give me the information I need to know how to live well. Thank you very much. Goodbye. So those of us who are involved in these groups have different ideas on it, I I think. But some people want socialization, others don't. So Hearing Loss Association has been much more successful through the way it started with its its founder, Rocky Stone. And um, But I think we need to continue to provide information on our websites and do community uh, projects, which is basically the, the idea so I haven't really given an answer there because it is a conundrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I would just add a little to that. I mean, I think for a lot of people, including myself at the beginning of my journey, like I didn't necessarily want to join a hearing loss group. Like I didn't want to be a person with hearing loss. Right. So it's sort of that hard thing to say, hi, I have hearing loss too. Wow. You know, so maybe people start a little bit slower. And that's why I think a lot of these Facebook groups are a little bit more of an anonymous way to stick your toe in the water, get some of that peer support, get some of that information. And then hopefully over time, you do realize that power of peers and friendship. And so, you know, maybe you go to an in-person meeting or a Zoom meeting or a conference. So I think it's, you know, it's slow in terms of of a process, but I think we should just welcome everyone, however they want to get to us. And I think ATLA is doing a better job now at being on social media a little bit more, right? And just being where people want to find you. Yeah, being visible, I think. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Cool. Well, any any final thoughts? We'll we'll um, make sure to link where to find the book, obviously in our in our notes section here, and share your blog. Is it Living with Hearing Loss? Is that right? Yeah, livingwithhearingloss.com. Okay, and that's still very much active and. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I have, it's, it's sort of, it's a blog and it's sort of become a community. So it has a Facebook page, it has a Facebook group. And so people, you know, respond to the blog, they share comments with one another. So it's been nice to see how that's developed over time a little bit too. 
Cool. Yeah. And what's next for you guys? You're touring the book. You're doing, we're doing lots of promotions on the book. How's it all going? You guys are in different places. So we're invited to do a lot of presentations, the two of us on Zoom. So we speak, we've been doing a lot of speaking over the past year, and we've got a busy year coming up with conferences and continuing to do this. So uh, we have an audiobook coming out oh, in awesome. March, the audiobook, which is very exciting. Because you know, recently, someone that was an industry leader said, I don't have time to read books. I just don't. But if you guys did an audiobook, I said, well, we, you know, we said it's coming out in March. He said, well, that's when I'll, you know, I want to listen to it. So that's exciting. And I don't know what else we're doing, Sherry. We're very busy. Are yeah. lots of these- we are very busy because we we're like advocates on steroids or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. One of our really big goals is to have the book be part of the curriculum, you know, for students and yeah. burgeoning audiologists, because we feel like the more that they can get exposure to real people with hearing loss, you know, and real situations, and some of those skills that we talk about, then they'll be equipped to do what we were talking about in those appointments, right? Talk about the journey, talk about some of those non-technology answers. So that's one thing we're definitely going to be working on quite a bit this year. So if you have any ideas for how we can get okay. that. Um, well, I think that's know. a great idea. Yeah. So, so Rebecca, where did you get your audiology degree? I went to UBC in Vancouver. Oh, wonderful. So I'm yeah. speaking to that group. Okay. Um, yeah, Henry Lamb's audiology rehabilitation class at yeah. the end of March. So um, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Is it, have you yeah. done that before or is this the first time? I Well, I used to speak to that group a long time ago when Susan Small was running the program. And I used to, when I was running the SoundSense program, it's a hearing awareness program for elementary students. So I would come in and speak. Um, and I used to speak at Western and Sherry also speaks it and also universities with audiology programs in the states as has sherry so uh we'd love to do more of that no cool and yeah. are lots of the conferences this year back in person some of them uh, last year a lot i did the canadian audiology i spoke there uh, we did triple a last year we did asha and we're just waiting to hear on a few conferences this year so yeah that's great hopefully uh, nice to see them coming back <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. And we were just at the consumer electronics show, which was oh, were you? super fun as well. We got invited as sort of a group of um, different writers and influencers and people in the press about hearing loss. And we were trekking all over trying to find all the products about <laughs> hearing loss. And there were some, there weren't maybe as many as we were hoping for. You know, I think everyone with OTC was feeling like it was just going to flick a switch, but it's going to take a little bit of time, but it's still right. it's great to see the innovation across all areas of uh, yeah. technology. It's fabulous. Yeah, that would be very cool. Yeah. Great. Well, any final thoughts from either of you that you'd like to kind of close with or anything else that we didn't kind of touch on that you want to share? Just thank you for giving us a voice by, by inviting us here. We just want as many people who live with hearing loss to live better with it. So we do appreciate, as I said, giving us a voice by inviting us on your podcast. Yeah, no, of course. I'm so happy to have you. And I've sent a copy to my dad, so hopefully he'll, hopefully he'll read it. 
<laughs> we never know, but I think it's a fantastic handbook. And I think anyone who works with people with hearing loss should definitely read it as well. Awesome. Yeah, Thank you so, so much. much. Yeah, you're very welcome. We'll share it on all of the platforms and the books available now. So anyone can go out and grab a copy today, probably at any bookstore, I would imagine. And then the audio online. And then it, we have links to a lot of different places on the website, which is hereandbeyond.com. Okay, cool. And then the audiobook in March. So people can look forward to that. We'll let you know. Yeah. Great. Okay. Thanks. Out. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, or leave us a review. You can also register for our Partnership in Hearing community website using the link in the description below. Thank you.